Welcome, stranger. The hour is late. Twilight diminishes. Night is coming. Welcome to Castle Ravenscar, and I'm your host, Revan Keys. The storm outside is raging. Looks like you might be stranded here for a little while, anyway. No, don't worry. You're not the first weary traveler to seek shelter within these walls. We will take good care of you. I'm sure the storm will pass by morning. Until then, how about a story by the fireside? Settle in. I think I've got just the story for you. <laughs> Greetings, weary traveler, and welcome to Tales from Castle Ravenscar. I am your host, Revan Keys. Tonight's tale was written by yours truly, and is a cautionary tale for parents who abuse their children and the consequences that might follow. For tonight's entertainment, I present to you Anna and the Demon, written by Revan Keys. Anna awoke from a shallow and disturbed sleep. Being only five years old, she had no real sense of time, but the numbers on her glowing nightlight clock showed 2.35 a.m. She concluded that must be late into the night because she had never seen those numbers on her clock before. She pushed her pink unicorn emblazoned covers down a little the heat in her room was intense. A smooth, pale forehead was beaded with sweat, and she felt a nauseating knot in her stomach, like a bag of wriggling worms turning over and over inside. Her head felt full and foggy, similar to when she woke prematurely from an impromptu afternoon nap. Even with the glow from her nightlight, her room seemed unusually dark, with every corner filled with threatening shadows that seemed to creep closer and closer to her bed. She felt an encroaching sense of fear creep upon her little frame. Everything from her tippy toes to her scalp began to tingle with a preternatural sense of foreboding. She sat up in her bed and strained her eyes to see into the edges of her small, perfectly square bedroom. From the corner facing her bed, she heard something. Slowly rising from the dead silence of the night, she heard what sounded like birds. Several small birds, like sparrows, chittering in chorus in the corner of her room. As the sound increased, the chorus seemed to multiply too, dozens of birds turning into hundreds of birds. She began to tremble with a new level of fear that she had never experienced before. Not even in the time when Mummy threatened to drive her out of town and leave her by the roadside. She knew that Mummy was telling the truth. She meant to leave her in the middle of a strange place, all alone and afraid. Nothing scared Anna more than being alone. And Mummy knew that. Mummy used that to hurt her. 
shutting her away in her room for hours and hours with no one to talk to. Anna knew that her own mother hated her. She blamed Anna for taking away her youth and spoiling her chances of being somebody. Anna's mother, Catherine Vaughan Jones, had been an aspiring woman of business until she fell pregnant with Anna, a go-getter with an aptitude for numbers and organization. Catherine worked for a reputable book publishing business as their accounting officer and finance lead. It was there that she met her future partner and the soon-to-be father of her unborn child, Lucas Dryden. He was a tall, dark, and handsome man, with features that some would compare to one of da Vinci's masterworks, a kind of brooding man-out-of-time renaissance figure with long raven-black curls and a stylized goatee. It was his eyes that first made Catherine stop and fluster as she sat opposite him in their first meeting. Deep hazel pools that called to innocence like sirens in old tomes and nighttime scare stories. He was pitching his very first book, a supernatural thriller entitled And Then There Was One, a labor that had taken him a little over two years between many part-time jobs. The two would work closely together to ensure the launch of this new talent would run smoothly and generate a healthy profit margin for all parties. Catherine had read the book. Whether it was any good in her opinion will forever remain a mystery, as her every moment was an endless galaxy of disjointed thoughts and fantasies, with Lucas Dryden at the very core of each brightly burning star. From this moment, time passed with all the swiftness of a fiery passion leaving in its wake a trail of broken aspirations and bitter defeats as the two became closer and their bonds tightened. The book earned a mediocre reception and there was no cry for a sequel. Lucas, in his desperate struggle to prove himself, began to lose faith and in so doing created a vacuum in his heart that swallowed what little feeling he had left for Catherine. Anna was born two weeks late, and Catherine endured a very difficult birth that left her body scarred and fatigued. With Lucas's increasing emotional absence from their daily lives, one might think that the bond between mother and child would strengthen, but a rage filled Catherine's being like a scorching vapor inside a pressure cooker, stored away beneath an unassuming surface, but always ready to explode when an opportunity presented itself. And it was in those times that Anna was most afraid. None of that, however, compared to the fear that she was enduring right now in her own little room. She tried desperately to move, just to set one foot out of her bed. If she could reach the big light, maybe the birds would be frightened and leave. But the icy grip of fear had her pinned to her sweat-soaked mattress by her very spine. 
As her hazel eyes darted around the room, she could no longer see any familiarity in this place. What little toys she had stored neatly on shelves or in her play box were gone. Her fierce and trusted companion, a brown teddy bear with a silver helmet and shield, whom she had lovingly named Sir Brambles, was absent from his sentry post at the foot of her bed and replaced with a swirling void of amoroidal blackness. As the terror in her soul reached crescendo, she glimpsed movement in the far corner. A glimmer of something wet and slick rose like hot road tar from the floor. It stepped out of the blackness and gazed on her with its inky holes where eyes should have been. It stood a little over seven feet tall, its form shifting and settling into that of a man. His long and elegant black fingers reached for her, each digit sporting a barbed claw like the talons of an eagle. Anna tried to scream, but the sound caught in her throat and retreated back to the pit of her stomach like a frightened rodent in the presence of a pit viper. As she looked helplessly at the spindly being before her, she noticed that he began to develop spikes or quills that sprouted from his head and ran down the length of his twisted spine like the ragged mane of a hyena. Similar, smaller spikes protruded from his forearms and down his thigh muscles. He drifted towards her, floating like something ethereal and ancient, something that even her tiny and still-developing mind knew existed outside of the realms of possibility and reason. He reached her bedside and sat on the edge of her mattress. He looked down on her, and though he had no lips or a mouth of any kind, a series of deep clicks and stammers were uttered from his throat. The sound seemed familiar to Anna, like the sound a dolphin would make, only much deeper and more precise. Even though the sounds were incomprehensible, Anna understood each word and soon began answering the man's questions. As the encroaching blackness was lifted, Anna's fear too began to abate, and she knew the man had not come to harm her, he had come to care for her. She told him how Mummy would scream at her, hit her and lock her away, and how Daddy would sit and watch her do it, motionless and without a care in the world. She recounted the time that Mummy had hidden medicine in Anna's dinner, that had made her sick so that she had to stay home from school so her bruises had time to go away. As Anna told each chilling story, she felt the heaviness in her heart dissipate, and soon she felt happy. This stranger was the only person in the world who knew the secrets about Mummy and Daddy. Sir Brambles knew. But he was never able to help her in the way the stranger promised he would.
The entity rose from her bedside and made her promise to stay in her room, no matter what she might hear. His fingers tentatively brushed her long dark hair as he gripped the doorknob with two hooked fingers of his other hand. He turned and winked with an empty socket. Her room was back in the familiar pinks and vanilla creams her mother had chosen in an effort to convince any visitors that she was the doting mother. The room was back, but Sir Brambles remained absent. The demon drifted slowly down the hall of the perfectly decorated detached townhouse, with the light of the moon cascading in through the window at the end of the hall, casting shimmers over the surface of his oily frame. He reached the stairs and descended with the grace of a feline, his feet never touching the dark green carpet that lined the stairway. He glided through the open door to Lucas's study and found him sat in a leather office chair, face planted firmly onto the surface of his desk and an empty glass of gin in one hand. The demon tilted his head to one side in a sort of quizzical expression and proceeded to move behind the sleeping writer. The temperature of the room plummeted in a matter of seconds, and warm vapor clouds emanated from Lucas's gaping mouth, his eyes opening in an inebriated response to alert him to a sudden change in environmental conditions. As Lucas sat back in his chair, he gave a shiver and rubbed his arms in an effort to awaken enough to remedy his situation. Fuck me, it's cold, he murmured. As his senses slowly returned, he felt a presence in the room with him. He knew there was someone, or something, standing right behind him. As the fine hairs on the back of his neck stood upright like the hackles on an angry feline, he begged himself not to turn around. He knew if he did, he would be confronted by something that he knew he was unable to deal with. Yet the urge to know, the overwhelming desire to abandon rationality and embrace the madness behind him was too strong as his trembling head turned to face his late night visitor. As Lucas's eyes met the endless pools of deep shadow, he knocked his empty glass from his desk and before it landed softly on the carpet below, his life to this point had waved past his eyes and left him feeling cold and ashamed. In a flurry of movement, the demon grabbed the back of his neck with one elegant hand, barbed fingers sliding beneath his soft skin to the musculature beneath, and with one rapid gesture, smashed his head into the surface of the desk. The impact was so quick and sudden that Lucas bit straight through his tongue, almost severing it entirely, but for a few sinewy threads. And as he felt his mouth fill with warm, thick blood, he choked and spat, unable to breathe. Overcome with pain and dread, 
Lucas fought to remain conscious as his brain began to shut down in a futile effort to preserve itself from the plethora of deadly experiences that it was trying to process. The demon's grip was inescapable as he brought his head back up and smashed it down again and again. During the third impact, Lucas heard his own skull fracture and felt the burning agony in his temple. As the demon repeatedly drove his head into the desk, his eye dislodged and popped from its socket, hanging limply and sightlessly on his bloodied cheek. The demon did not cease his onslaught until Lucas's skull was cracked open and the soft grey matter inside was exposed and pulverized beneath his spindly claws. As the last breath escaped Lucas's body, the demon withdrew and stood, observing the scene as pale glimmers of moonlight danced through the sea of crimson gore and fragments of ivory skull that were all the remnants of the once resplendent Lucas Dryden. From her bedroom upstairs, Catherine struggled to awaken from her dream, a disturbing sequence in which she was attending a meeting that would skyrocket her career. Yet she was unable to fully commit to the moment because of a deep, slow and fitful knocking sound that seemed to come from somewhere far away. As her eyes flickered furiously beneath their thin lids, she began to lose sight of the dream as she was roused further and further into the waking world. She sat up in her bed and clung to the edge of her cream and gold paisley print covers as she strained her ears and tilted her head in an effort to detect some sign of the knocking sound that had invaded her nighttime retreat into a world that she had been hungering for. Alas, the sound had ceased, and Catherine was left in the silence of the night. Blinking hard, she forced all notions of sleep from her mind and coaxed her thoughts away from the strange and aberrant fears that a nighttime disturbance brings, and rooted them firmly in her usual safe and rational way of being. She made a silent commitment that her fears were irrational, and she convinced herself that Lucas must have gotten drunk and struggled to keep himself steady when coming up to bed. Catherine got up, carefully wrapped her dressing gown around her, and headed cautiously to her bedroom door, with a view to issuing her intoxicated partner with a harsh verbal chastising. As her hand gripped the shiny chrome doorknob, there came a sudden knocking, louder and sharper than she had experienced previously, coming from the other side of the door. Three distinct knocks. Her mind swam with possibilities. Could it be Anna? No. The sound was coming from the top half of the door, Anna could never reach that high, and what's more, she knew better than to be out of bed at night. Lucas? Probably. 
That would be the only logical explanation, but why on earth would he be creating such a ruckus this late at night? If this was the case, Catherine had every intention of knocking him into next week for this transgression. All at once, the door flew open, and Catherine was met with a wave of freezing fog that seemed to run up her legs like twisting vines. She took a step back and inhaled a sharp, freezing breath that chilled her lungs and frosted her already cold heart. As she looked out into the hallway, she saw shadows distort and reach toward her, and the sound of tiny birds broke the silence that she had precedently found unnerving. As she retreated slowly back into her room, one step at a time, she saw the demon glide closer and closer to her. As she looked up upon his featureless body, she stammered, What are you? What do you want? The demon lowered his head slightly and met her gaze, with the voids that occupied most of its smooth, barren face. A small slit appeared where human lips would be. It slowly yawned open to reveal rows of savage, amber-colored teeth like shards of glass set back in uniform rows that were not dissimilar to the gaping maw of a shark. As it did so, the demon seemed to grow in height and mass, with slick black muscles bulging from its arms and thighs, its pectorals and abdominal obliques becoming thick and dense. Yet more spines protruded through its oily skin, sharper and longer than before, like ragged splinters and thick needles. As its form trembled and struggled to contain the power surging through its muscles, two dim embers appeared in the empty eye sockets, faintly glowing, yet somehow conveying a deep and feral rage. Catherine stared, open-mouthed at the Goliath in front of her, and uttered a silent prayer to a god that she had never believed in, as the demon sprang forth and slammed her to the bedroom floor. Not a single sound escaped Catherine's lips as the demon grabbed her arms and shattered them effortlessly with his huge hands. Shards of bone tore through her flesh, and she felt a curious cold sensation flowing her decimated limbs. The demon opened his gaping maw and sank rows of razor-sharp teeth into the soft and delicate flesh of her throat. As Catherine tried to kick out, her thighs were eviscerated by the needle-like protrusions that covered the demon's body. She lay twitching in a sea of warm, sticky blood as the demon began to consume her, devouring huge chunks of tender flesh and swallowing, clicking and grunting in ecstasy as the warm flesh met the freezing cold of his stomach. He did not stop digging and raking at her torso 
until he met her spinal column. Before he rose, he made sure to smash Catherine's skull with the palm of his hand. Slowly, with consistent force, he applied pressure until his hand met the carpeted floor beneath her head. With his work complete, the demon's form reverted to the slender and elegant wraith that first presented itself to Anna and drifted down the hall and back to her room. He looked at her and winked once more, and the two left the house, hand in hand, as Anna looked up adoringly at her new parent, one that would love her, take care of her always, and keep her safe. She felt a love for him that she had never felt for her own mother and father, and he promised to always be with her. She gingerly asked if Sir Brambles could come with them, and the demon clicked in reply. I guess you're right. I don't need Sir Brambles anymore, because I will never be alone again. Well, weary traveller, it looks like we've come to the end of our story. A cautionary tale not worth ignoring, I feel. <laughs> Make sure that you never miss a story by following the podcast on Spotify. Like and follow us on social media and YouTube. And if you have any spooky tales or horror stories that you would like narrating on this podcast, then please get in touch. We would love to make your acquaintance. <laughs> Until next time, my friends, stay safe and join us next time for more Tales from Castle Ravenscar.